Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk Recorded live. On November the 9th, 2014, from Coolidge, Arizona, we welcome all of you on board today. We have a ship that's a life raft. It does not sink. We stand firm through all the storms, and we continue to emerge whole and complete. That's the story of the Lord's Church in Coolidge and hopefully everywhere else. Now, in the book of Acts, this is where we are beginning uh, a lengthy study Hopefully not just typical stuff, but uh, things that are true to the original language. No, yeah. As somebody just said here, uh, we don't need any more milk. Uh, we've, we've, outgrown, we've outgrown the milk stage. But um, what we are opening up here and getting into is the most marvelous development God ever undertook. Well, you're saying, oh, what about this? Well, but God didn't undertake that. That was God's man undertaking that, and it has nothing. It just fades in comparison to what God has done. We're on the brink of, of everything for which creation was made. We're in the brink of entering into all of, all of the factors of of God's purpose coming to fruition. And it's going to come to that through the apostles. And it's the most marvelous, the most marvelous development that has ever taken place or ever will take place in the course of earthly history. Now, if you've got that right, then we're on the right track together. <clears throat> This is where we need to get our foundation. We need to get our feet firmly planted on the things that are developed in the book of Acts. Last week, we took a little um, trip through Hebrews chapter 2, the first few verses. There we discovered that the purpose of miracles uh, was for the confirmation of a truth, of the word. They were for confirmation. We forget that. We think that miracles are for some other reason. But all the people that Jesus healed got sick and died. Every one of them. There's not a woman, one of them, still living today. Even Lazarus, who he rose from the dead, he's stone dead, as far as his body is concerned. So the purpose of miracles, even though they had their human benefit, The purpose of them was not that. That was secondary. The purpose of that was to assure us 
who the performer of the miracle was and that the message that he gave was supernatural. And so there had to be evidence equal to the message. That means a supernatural message requires a supernatural confirmation. That's where the miracles come in. The miracles were the purpose of confirming the message. We need to keep that in mind all the way through the book of Acts because it's going to come up over and over and over again. And um, the apostolic ability to perform as Jesus did while he was here. But we need to remember the why for. And I think we're dealing with all intelligent people. I think that I think that we are addressing people every Sunday, every time we get the opportunity, who are very intelligent. I think most people are very intelligent. Everyone is intelligent in different ways. We don't compare ourselves with one another. Paul says in Corinthians, that's what the stupid people do. Yeah, we don't, we don't go, you know, we're not competing with, one, with each other. We're competing with ourselves and what we ought to be doing and what we are capable of doing. But it's not in relation to how somebody else is doing, even though there's a case for that. But uh, Paul was clear, those who compare themselves with themselves are not wise. Now, that's putting it pretty blunt. He really says, in that word, uh, they are without anything in their head. Well, we're not dealing with folks like that. We're dealing with people who have a lot in their head. Everybody has a different level of intelligence, intelligence in different factors, different arenas of life. And remember that God never holds us accountable for what we are not capable of. And all body, everybody's hand goes up, well, I'm not capable of anything. Well, sometimes I think maybe you're right. But you are capable. <clears throat> God will hold you capable for what, uh, will hold you responsible for what you are capable of. We're dealing with people who are intelligent. Let's keep that in mind. The book of Acts is written to intelligent people, written to people who could understand the language. They understood the language. <clears throat> and they could decipher the language. And particularly in verse 1, we have this, this treatise uh, given specifically or written specifically for Theophilus. And uh, Dan, who's this dude? Well, Theophilus is kind of maybe a real person, but maybe not. The, the name... Theo is from theology, the root we get theology from, and Phyllis from what we get Philadelphia from, or brotherly will, so it means lover of God. All right. One who has their companionship with God. So this book, I, I like that, Dan. I think that's the broad picture, is that we can argue who Theophilus was from now until doomsday, and it really doesn't matter because the name is used by inspiration to mean those folks who are lovers of God. I'm, I'm writing this to those folks 
who are lovers of God. Now that's a great measure of intelligence. When one knows about God to be a lover of God and we love God and those are, that proof of our love for God is uh, manifest by how we obey Him and how we live our lives um, in His will. So he's writing to, those, to that person or to those persons who are lovers of God or who have made God their companion. Truth is how we arrive at that. There is no companionship with God uh, arbitrarily. It's the companionship that comes from a grasp of his word, a love for his word, and a willing to respond to what he has said. The book of Acts is going to put us to the test. All right. <clears throat> so in verse 1, the former treatise have I written, uh, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and to teach. And what he began, he completed in those whom he had given orders to uh, in verse 2 until the day in which he was taken up. So he was continually in his ministry of teaching and doing. They go together. The doing was to confirm his, uh, his teaching until the day in which he was taken up, the ascension, and, after, and, that he, and, and he, he was taken up uh, after he had completed his ministry uh, to the apostles. That's the ascension. And what he gave to them was through spirit. Look at that word there. Uh, that, he, that, um, uh, the, that he threw, the English is really kind of weird here. But um, he, he, until that day on which he ha, ha, had completed giving all of his injunctions to the apostles through spirit. Now, not just anybody's spirit, but through a spirit made holy, a holy spirit. Holy is an adjective. You don't put an adjective to God. You put an adjective to something that has the option. Now, that's not always true. There are some exceptions to that. But nevertheless, think of it in terms that here was a spirit that God worked through he worked through it. There, he doesn't say anything about it being God's spirit. It was their spirit. And he came through their spirit. Their spirits were the ones that were being made holy. That's a hard thing for some folks to get a handle of. But look at, uh, uh, look at Hebrews. Uh, you know, I don't think I've got this. but No, I don't have it. I don't have Hebrews 12 in my Bible, but let's go to Hebrews 12, and I think it's verse, uh, somebody got that? Uh, <clears throat> and this, this gives us the principle that we're drawing from here, and then I want to give you some additional specifics. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, in the latter part of the chapter, um, 23 maybe. Um, Hebrews 12, let me see here. Um, um, 
I think I'm going to get it here. I, here it is. <clears throat> it's in verse 20. Did I say 23? Yeah. I was lucky. Okay, ver, uh, he, uh, Hebrews 12:23. To the general assembly and church. Now, this is speaking to uh, the, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are rolled in heaven. That's probably the big picture, and that the Hebrews were a part of that. <clears throat> and to God, the judge of all, and now the phrase that I'm after, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect. Yeah, we can do that. We can look that up in the interlinear and get a better handle on it maybe. And we always want to look at the gender. <clears throat> All right, there we go. Okay, we, we look at the word spirits there. And um, it's in the neuter gender. So it's not a person. To the spirits of men, it's an adjective. Uh, of, of the just, actually, of uh, the spirits of the just and uh, participial. So it's, um, you know, it, it's made perfect. It describes these people whose spirits. See, see, it's in the participle. A participle is a verb made into an adjective. So made perfect is describing these just men, these just people whose spirits, uh, it was their spirits that had been made perfect. The spirits of the man. That's right. Okay. And as Alex got it clear, God's spirit does not need to be made perfect, nor to be made holy. God's spirit is holy, and it is his spirit through the word that we are to be participants of in our spirit. That's what makes us spiritual. All right. So <clears throat> I think we have that. And by the way, um, yeah, we, that's right. Uh, a forceful hot air. Forceful hot air, yeah. <laughs> But you know the 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 word for air here for pneumatos means breath, but it isn't just the the uh, the velocity of the breath that's involved. It's the content of what's in the breath that's involved in pneumatos. So it has a double here in the Greek. Even the Calvinists define it properly that pneuma is a current of air, a breath. They deal with it only, folks, from the velocity factor. From a physical standpoint, but that's what the word is drawn from. That's the etymology of the word. That's the root of the word. It never relates to something that, has a, that is a separate entity. It has to do with what that entity is. And... Uh, and it's always and this, and here it's neuter as well. It's always neuter. I, I said always neuter. 
Now, there is an exception. We may get time for that, but it doesn't relate to what we're doing here. So, he came to them through spirit, not by spirit, but through spirit. That's, that's how he needed it. He needed to get it inside of them. It needed to be put in their hearts. And these were the ones that he had chosen. Now, if you have not been specifically chosen, you're not in this verse. We did that in, in Revelation class on uh, tying together where we were in our past, in our studies in the preparatory work for Revelation in Second Thessalonians chapter two. We went time, we took time Sunday, uh, Thursday night, and went back and showed that what we are studying in Revelation chapter 9 is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and all of those things in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians belong to those people, and there's no way that you can slither yourself into that context except through history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, well, or delusion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the apostles have a unique place in in what in in this most magnificent thing that God is doing. Things that has taken God thousands of years to prepare for, and to prepare the world for. And not until the fullness of time, uh, Galatians 4.4, 4, was it going to begin to find its fruition, its fulfillment. And then we think there's something else that we need to devote our time to. Now, these are the same ones in verse 3. That's enough review. <clears throat> To whom also, and you know, here here is another thing um, to think about, is how the Bible is written. If you go back, and I don't uh, don't want to necessarily do this, but if you go back to Genesis chapter one and then chapter two, you have Genesis one giving us an overlay. Chapter two, he goes back with a different name for God and and starts all over again but from a different perspective. So he leaves some things out that were in chapter 1, picks up new things that could have been in chapter 1, but carries on because now he has changed his objective in what he is saying, reporting. So the same thing has happened here. That's, you know, that happens frequently. That's how newspapers are written, and it's how uh, literature excels. Uh, in, in how it does that. So here he, he's given us a quick, uh, a quick format in verses 1 and 2. Now, then he goes back to whom also, uh, goes back before his ascension, see, before he, uh, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that is the cross. So the, 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 uh, the, the cross, and the, re- the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ together are referred to as his passion. Remember that. That was his passion. 
not because of what it did for him, but because of what it was doing for God's purpose. We studied that in Luke. You know, Jesus said, you know, this is not about me. This is about what I'm doing. Remember that? Yes. <clears throat> so we have, to, we have to keep what we've learned uh, in mind. That's why we read Hebrews chapter uh, 2, uh, that we have, to, we have to keep reminding ourselves and keep it all in a flow. I've had folks look at Revelation and we give them our analysis of chapter 1 and chapter 21 and chapter 22, give us a time frame, document the time frame, and then somebody comes back and says, well, now what are you going to do with chapter 19 and 20? Well, what are we going to do? It has to fit within the time frame or it doesn't belong there. Or our view is wrong. We're trying to impose upon something upon it that's not there because we didn't listen to the format. We do. <laughs> and th- that's what we have to break out of. You know, it's always a learning process, and we, we, all, we all tend to do that. So we, we go back now. We all seek toward a more perfect understanding. And we all seek toward a more complete and perfect understanding, Dan. You got it. So we, we go back here. The, the author is going back that this one whom the apostles had been uh, appointed by Jesus, had been chosen by him, these are the ones to whom also he showed himself alive. So they were eyewitnesses. Now there were other other eyewitnesses discussed in 1 Corinthians 15. We don't need to go there for now. But he, he presented himself alive to them specifically, after his passion, his death, burial, and resurrection, and through many infallible proofs, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That's after the resurrection and prior to what he talked about in verse 2, the ascension between the, um, between the resurrection and the ascension was a period of 40 days. In that 40-day period, Jesus was with the apostles and he provided them more convincing proofs and he spoke of how to have better potluck dinners. All of the important stuff in life. All of the things in life that we have perverted somehow when it comes to what it was he thought was critical, what he thought was primary, what he thought was the end result of all that God had in mind, and that was the things concerning the kingdom of God. Paul Harvey, he was always telling the rest of the story. Yep. Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. I like that. Yeah, good. So I think that verse is pretty clear. There there are some um, little things we can deal with, but I I think that it's basically uh, understood that that he spoke for those 40-day period about things pertaining 
the, uh, and we're in the ninth, that's the ninth of the 40 days of the Bible, ninth 40-day period. We're studying that on Sunday mornings. We're in this period, and we're on Lesson 48 or 49 today. 48 weeks we've stood on, the, we've, we've stayed in this verse, <laughs> discussing everything that Luke discussed on this subject, and all of, and, and not all, but a lot of its implications. You know, it may be overdoing it, but it never, never can be done again. You know? In my lifetime, it can't be done, and nobody else is going to come in and do it. <laughs> Where's your dad? Oh, okay. I had a special task for him today. Okay. Task or target? Huh? Task or target? Or maybe Target. <laughs> okay. Look at verse 4. Uh, if anybody has anything you'd like to add here, why be sure you provide some input. Verse 4, I'm just using the interlinear here, and, uh, you know, I'm just letting it tell us the story. And being assembled... Jesus assembled himself with the apostles. When on Sunday morning or any time that we are in the word, we with Jesus are assembling ourselves with the apostles. You don't do, you're not assembled with the apostles at an Amway rally. or at a political rally, or any other kind of rally, even at a school football game. You're only assembled with the apostles when you're in their word, and only then are you assembled with Jesus. He assembles with the apostles. <clears throat> Some folks say, well, the assembly just isn't important. That's a hard thing to get across, that it is important. And uh, it's something that we ought to be doing, and we're not doing it as we ought to be doing it. And we ought to be doing it for the right reason and for the right motive, and do it and do it consistently and be committed to it. So, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. So he is he's coming, meeting with the apostles, giving them instructions that he talked about in verse 2. Now he's giving us more detail, adding more, more issues to what he discussed, about, uh, discussed with us in verse 2. And that one thing is going to stand out, that they're not to depart from Jerusalem. You stay put. Stay where you are. Now, in typology, the new Jerusalem is the church, the kingdom of God, and we better stay put in that, too, because there's no hope outside of it. But that's a different subject for now. 
So they should not depart from Jerusalem. See, we discussed that back in Luke 24:47. I think it was. Let's read that. Because <clears throat> re- Luke is going back with us, uh, taking us back with what he had, where he had been in his gospel account. And uh, verse 47, And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And we, we, we've dissected all of that. And it was going to begin in Nauvoo, Illinois. Now, any church that can trace itself back to the beginning, and if that beginning is not Jerusalem, they got a problem. Now, we may love those folks, we may care about those folks, but don't be a part of that or committed to a, a, a folks, uh, to those folks who belong to something that doesn't originate in Jerusalem. There are no roots. You're just a floating around in the ocean of turmoil. You have no roots if where you are did not begin in Jerusalem. You know, that's, uh, I'm sorry, folks, that's the way it is. Now, let's stay with verse 4. Not only did he give them a command that they were not to depart from Jerusalem because he's in, in the gospel account, he said, you, you, everything is going to begin in Jerusalem and you guys, are, you dudes are going to be there. So now, he is telling us now what he told them then that they should not depart from Jerusalem. He is quoting what we just read in Luke 24:47. Jesus, uh, you know, Luke is quoting from uh, his own writing here. But wait, but wait. So there's the second thing, but wait for the promise. Be content. For what the Father had promised. So there were promises made to them Those promises were going to be received in Jerusalem and it was going to be what the Father had promised, but you guys have got to be there when it takes place. Let's, uh, can we go to the end of the linear and I want to get some support on that word wait. Uh, I don't think I'm going to like what I see. I'll wait. To await. Uh, and wait for, you see that word, see that little word there? Look at the, look at the preposition. That preposition there, that first word, that word begins with, uh, peri. Perimeter means around. Stay put around. Be, and it really has a much Broad, broader, broader application uh, than um, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. Uh, that's right. Oh, he, you found it. Okay, am I right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. How did you find that? Oh, okay. I I I didn't see that. Okay. Okay. The second half is. Uh, 
to stay in a given place, relation or expectancy. And uh, it, it really means, it really, putting all of that together, and that's not far off, it really means to stay put, be content where you are or where I have told you to be. With, with a sense of expectancy. Yeah, that's why you're waiting. That's, that's why, why you are staying put. That's right. Because of your anticipation. Don't get, don't get uptight. And you must be present to win. And you, <laughs> oh, I love it. And you must be present to win. Oh, I, that's good. Well, I wish I had I just write that down. <laughs> Have to, well, why? You know, um, <clears throat> but you have to be present to win. That's a good point. So he's telling them, not you. You can't put yourself into this verse. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking to? The apostles. You got that right. So don't try to slither yourself into this context. I think uh, Mike made a real la- good point last week. I don't know whether Mike's on board, but in uh, verses 1 and 2, you know, in those first two verses, we have so much uh, of, what the, of what Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, uh, rightly dividing, properly pu- putting a sharp edge to the word. And um, that uh, is, this, this just clears up so much confusion going around, and particularly in Christendom. Today. Okay? So, two commandments so far, and that is uh, who's to receive the promise? The apostles. Those to whom it was given. And who is to wait? The apostles. Where were they to wait? And what were they to wait for in this verse? The promise. Well, if you got that clear, you've got a lot of things straightened out theologically. Now, The apostles were a group. They represented a corporate body. And oftentimes when the word you or ye is spoken of and is addressing the apostles, he's speaking to them as a group. Is corporate. Keep that in mind. Because when we open up verse 5, we have to understand that it was as a group they were to be baptized. There is no record that any of them had ever been baptized individually. Now, we don't know they may have been. Very likely they were, but we don't know that. So where the Bible does not speak, we dare not speak. Got it? And where the Bible does speak, we had better speak. 
I think that's clear. For John truly baptized, oh, not not with, well, let's see. We better check it out. Always check those prepositions out. Oh, up there. You see that the lad the last verse, the last two words on the word baptizo. That's the preposition for the following word. It's tacked on to the uh, suffix of the previous verb. Right? Yeah. What's that preposition? In. They were. He truly baptized in water. What what does that immediately do away with? Yeah, it does away with all of those things that do not represent a burial. John the Baptist truly baptized in water, and he baptized for Jewish repentance in preparation for what it was, uh, for, for, for what Jesus' ministry and mission were. Keep those separate. But he truly baptized. That's a fact. He baptized in water. And then look at you, you, oh, but it's plural. See that? It's plural. But you all, you all, as a group, youans, and if it were first person, it would be weans. And if it was talking about you up in Portland, it would be youans. But this is you all, you all, plural, speaking about them corporately in spirit. Why and where do we get the word with? You know, if, you can't argue with the original text. What's more enlightening is to think of, you're, you know, you're being baptized in spirit, but you're being immersed in spirit. You're being buried in it. You're really getting into it. That's right. And this... Uh, I didn't know we were out of time, folks. I, I, I just I get so caught up in my. Well, I'm always so anxious to hear what I have to say. <laughs> I I hope that you take that as a jest. Uh, <laughs> can't what? No, we got to take our time with these things because if we if we get this cleared up, we're going to have a clear sailing all the way through the book, folks. So we got to take time to get the foundation right. It was in spirit, and at this point, who was being baptized in water? Those who came to John. Remember, he some of the Pharisees came to John, and he said, folks. 
Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And they were going to witness the wrath of God against the Jews in the fall of Jerusalem. He was predicting the fall of Jerusalem clear back there when he was baptizing. And he, he skipped, like Malachi, skips all over the ministry of Jesus, as Malachi did, and gets right to the fall of Jerusalem. But that's a different story. You pick that up on Thursday night. But here, uh, back, back to the original again. Um, they're, going to be, they're going to be baptized or immersed in spirit. And the adjective describing that spirit that they are going to immerse is holy. <clears throat> the adjective isn't there either. What was that? The isn't there either. No. Oh, good, good, uh, good point. There, there is no article there. They've added it, and of course that adds some confusion. So we we have to uh, in in spirit baptized is talking about in a place where that spirit baptizes, and it's holy. And uh, <clears throat> you know that is that clear? Our thinking has been, you know, I don't know, I didn't get this in school either, but you, 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 you all are going to be immersed in spirit, and not far from now. He's not telling you about what was going to happen to somebody else or through somebody else, but what's going to happen to them, and they were going to be immersed in spirit. Their spirit. There's nothing here that suggests somebody else's. They were going to be immersed. And they were going to be immersed in spirit. And of course, it was going to be <clears throat> the spirit of God. But as all that that spirit contains, and that takes us to a rabbit trail in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 next week. We have to close, folks. Our time is up. We're going to have to wait. We're, we're waiting now. We're going to be in a wait till next week. Expecting, anticipating what it was that the apostles were expecting and anticipating, and it was something that they were going to experience. But, folks, nothing like this had ever happened before. Nothing like this has ever happened nor will ever happen since. This is the one point in the history of mankind that God did the most marvelous thing, the mar most marvelous development that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. And we're looking at it right now. And folks, if you don't buy that, you need to get your thinking cleared up. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, may we be enticed to truth because it is so pure and so meaningful and so ap applicable to our lives. May we love it. Maybe we, may we all be the lovers of truth and the lovers of God 
as the one to whom this book is written. In Jesus' name, amen.